Podcast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. You know, a lot of the listeners to the Paracast have asked us to have a skeptic on the show. Now, one of the problems with some of the skeptics out there is that they are so dogmatic in their own beliefs that they are true believers in the same sense that someone who believes everything in the UFO field or everything in the paranormal field might be termed a true believer. These are true disbelievers. And we wanted to get somebody who I think and David thinks have responsible viewpoint someone who's really, really trying to understand what's going on and define a rational explanation. And the person that we settle on is a regular participant in our forums, Derek Bartholomus. He's works in the entertainment industry doing post-production for TV shows, and he's part of the Independent Investigations Group. David, I know you have been aching to talk to Derek on the air, so why don't you pick Jeez. up on this? Thanks, Gene. And, and thanks, Derek, for agreeing to come on. I realize that not many paranormal podcasts or radio shows will have on someone who is openly associated with an organization that essentially proves that things are not as they appear to be. In other words, an organization like the IIGS that essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, Derek, uh, their, their, their charter seems to be to debunk cases that they feel and when I say cases I'm going to say paranormal cases correct me if I'm wrong or I suppose I'll turn the question around to you set up the IIGS for us who are you guys and what do you do well thanks uh, first for letting me be here I've been anxiously uh, awaiting a time to come on as well the IIG is, does not set out to quote unquote debunk it's an all-volunteer group. Uh, the mission statement is to investigate fringe science, paranormal, and extraordinary claims from a rational, scientific viewpoint and disseminate factual information about such inquiries to the public. We meet uh, on, like, the third Saturday of every month, and uh, it's an all-volunteer organization that is affiliated with the Center for Inquiry in Los Angeles, Okay. which is in itself part of the Council for Skeptical Inquiry and the Council for Secular Humanism. So that's the, that's the overriding uh, uh, goal of the group. Informally, we try to refer to ourselves as the nice skeptics because there's, there's dogma on both sides. And the, the, the big thing, though, is to just investigate claims. And whatever, wherever the evidence takes you, that just happens to be where it takes you. It's to not go in with, you know, I may personally not believe in ghosts, but if I'm going to investigate a, a haunted house, I leave my, my personal beliefs, you know, at the door. And it's like, let's look at what is happening in this house. And let's figure out what is the cause for the situation that the people in this house are having. Mm -hmm. You're trying basically to get reasonable explanations up at the front burner where possible with some degree of objectivity. And, and I think that when we talk about objectivity, part of the problem is that it's almost as if everybody has an agenda, right? So we've got the people on the, what I call the, the believer side of the fence, the doe-eyed believers that will mm -hmm. buy into anything at face value. And anything that doesn't agree with the worldview, they'll basically just shut off. You know, it doesn't exist. It's not relevant. I'm not going to listen. La, 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 la. You have that on one end. And then on the other end, you have, and I don't like to use the term skeptics, because I think that skeptical thinking is obviously a critical part of good deductive reasoning process. Exactly. But, 
right? So, but on the other side, you have debunkers who will take anything, no matter what it is, disregard any proof because they've already made up their minds about the situation, and they'll say, all right, that's it. There is no such thing, for example, as the paranormal because you can't give us objective proof. You can't prove it in a lab. Therefore, it does not exist. That's the debunker side, right? So you're saying the IIG is not a debunking organization. Is that correct? No, that, that is correct. We, we investigate, you know, there are, we, we get ridiculous claims every now and then, but we investigate them honestly and openly like any other in, uh, case that comes along. You know, it's one of those, like we were talking about, I wasn't actually at this particular uh, haunted house investigation, but I'm, but when the guys had gone, you know, on the way there, you know, this, this, this particular investigation we picked up because um, it was a husband and wife that lived in the house, and they claimed to be seeing the same entity. Right. And that's different. You know, like when you start having two people, you know, that they're seeing the same thing and it's happening on multiple occasions, it's different than just the one person. Okay, so we already have, okay, now sure. here's a, another angle to look at. So that's why we, we took this case up. And on the way there, I know that the guys were joking, you know, they're singing the theme to Ghostbusters, they're talking about getting out the proton packs. But get rid of all of the, the, the giggle factor uh, of what, what can sometimes surround a paranormal investigation. Get that all out of the way before you step into, into anyone's house. And then it's just videotape the interviews, photograph the, the environment, look around what's going on. And in this particular case, it, was, it turned out that these people weren't seeing the same thing. One, the, the, the wife said that, you know, it was a large entity, a large person sort of, sort of thing, you know, humanoid creature. And it was what was so, it was so animated and moving and just constantly, you know, agitated. And that's what really scared her. And the husband, you know, when you interview these people separately whenever you do this sort of thing. Of course, sure. And the husband is like, it was short, it was really creepy, kind of had like a pig face or to it, and it was perfectly still. Like, okay, you didn't see the same thing. And then we also, you know, investigate, you know, their, their medicine cabinet. And it turns out that both of these people were on medications. It was either for hypertension or some form of heart disease or something like that. And one of the side effects is may cause hallucinations. Mm. So it's like, okay, here's here's what we found, you know, and a month later, wrote up the report, and it was like, you do not appear to have seen the same things. You have, you're, you're taking medication uh, on a daily basis that is known to have uh, hallucinations as a side effect. Right. At this point, we don't have anything that, that is pointing to this being an actual apparition. Correct. So now these people came to the IIG and requested an investigation. Yes. All right. Now that's an interesting yeah, contrast. You know, they had had, you know, the the healer to come out and bless them. They had had friends recommending not an exorcism, but you know, having the the, the medium going out and trying to clean the place, like in Poltergeist. And none of that was working. So it's like, okay, let's go at it a different route and let's see what you know. I don't, it's like, it's not that it's not paranormal, but let's see what this other group who aren't, you know, 
bringing psychics or mediums or any of these sorts of people. Let's see what they can come up with to try to help us because we're this is freaking us out. So basically, they wanted to know what was going on. It was not so much trying to find a paranormal explanation, but hey, guys, we have this weird stuff going on. What caused it? Exactly. Okay. So is the only difference between this couple and, let's say, a family that calls the TAPS guys, the ghost hunter guys in, it's the only difference that the other guys want to show up on TV? Because I'm, I'm guessing that if people call the IIG, they don't assume that there's going to be an episode of some TV show about them where certainly if someone's calling the ghost hunter guys up, then they know, hey, if we've got something here, they'll put us on television. How do you think that skews who people approach? I think it probably does influence. I don't I don't really want to pull in, you know, try to figure out what the motivations behind any particular person is. But right. the it's interesting that you should mention it because the reason I'm involved in the IIG is because I wanted to do a TV show about them. <laughs> the, okay. the, uh, one of the founding members of the group, and the group was formed in, I think, around the summer of 2001. One of the founding members was a good friend of, of my former girlfriend. And, you know, he was also a science fiction and fantasy film buff and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, you guys got to get together. And we've become really close friends over the years. And at the time, I was working at a production company that did a lot of um, documentary series. Uh, I had done uh, a few shows for the Disney Channel. Uh, Bug Juice and Totally Hoops were big shows of theirs where, like, Bug Juice was following kids at summer camp. So it was like, here's the people that go at the sleepaway camp for two months, and we just film them and see what happens to them over the over their the course of their of their summer camp experience. Same thing for there was a a, um, a junior high uh, girls basketball team, and we followed them as they prepared to go to the state championships and you know through their season and 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 going to the championships and stuff like that. When this friend of mine. I'm going to try to avoid saying his name on the air because Michael Horn knows him and doesn't know that he's actually part of the IIG. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't need the hate mail. I love so, it. Hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. And, nice. And, nice. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. Well, you're not right. the only one. There's a, there's a really, really close friend of Michael's who's not in the IIG, but is... is an associate, shall we say, and, and sends us information every now and then on, on what he's been doing. You so have an insider. We, we have our own internal oh, spies. <laughs> Before we discuss the spy world out there. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for nineteen ninety-five, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for $19.99 just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. 
Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item Paracast Offer 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five. Or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y, California, 90295. Put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO-6242, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We're talking to Derek Bartholomus. He is a TV post-production person, done some really great shows, and he's also associated with the Independent Investigations Group. And David and I wanted to talk to a skeptic, but a skeptic who has a responsible, intelligent, and reasonable attitude about what's going on. Before we go on, I know David has a thousand questions. You told me in our pre-interview session, where you and I were just getting acquainted for the first time, that you actually had a few unusual experiences that you perhaps find conventional explanations for, but can you tell us briefly what they are and why you felt you solved them? Well, let me let me just finish up the, the previous thought, and then I'll, I'll get to that. Absolutely. So I, when, when uh, this guy told me about the IIG, I'm like, that's really cool. You know, here's, you know, you know, the real Ghostbusters sort of thing. You know, to go out there and figure out how a paranormal investigation really happens and um so went went to it and started attending a couple of meetings just to get a lay of the land and uh found out that i just i really enjoyed the group became a member of the group but it would be incredibly boring television because at the time it's still kind of this way but less so now but at the time it was you know a group of middle-aged white men talking around a table uh as as they're doing research on things Having anyone uh, sitting around a table talking uh, is not very gripping television. Uh, 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 <laughs> There's a movie, you may have heard of it, called 12 Angry Men. Yeah, it's, but uh, that, you know, but, I'm just but, pointing it out. I mean, I'm just saying. To every rule, there is an exception. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, One of my favorite movies, actually, um, I've actually in classes talking about motion picture production. I've actually cited that movie as an example of what you can do with a really strong script and 12 really great actors, assuming you have minimal set budget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you, what do you got? This is what you got. Make something out of it. And boy, did they make something out of it. Of course, that was Lumet. And we won't even get into that because that's a whole other topic. But, um, And, and again, that's, you know, we're unscripted. So, 
people yeah. engaging in regular conversation sitting around a table uh, week right. after week is not going to be very gripping television. Um, Probably not. Because because there's about, we range about two to four field investigations a year. So it's just, there's whereas the TAPS guys, you know, everything's triggered to go out and do an investigation on every on every episode, so they have to sure. find something or do something. The, the, the real research is, is actually sitting in the library and or going on the web and trying to track down the roots of, of some of these causes. Now, getting, now, Gene, getting back to the question as to what I've had, and I've always believed initially that this was a purely paranormal event, but as time has gone on is like and we get more and more research happening is like oh maybe it's not uh it's a thing that i call um reality dreams uh it's not deja vu in the sense of this place is evoking a memory or this seems like this may have happened before but it was where i would have a, a dream and then some months later the exact events within that dream happened Probably the, the the strangest one of those, uh, and this would happen. You know, it comes and goes in waves. Sometimes it happens a lot over a few months period, and sometimes it doesn't happen for years. Um, never have quite understood uh, what the pattern may be. But one of the one of the strangest ones was I was it was a dream where I'm I'm at a, a dinner party and you know there's like 12 people at a round table and I knew everybody at the table except for the woman sitting next to me and uh this is like in high school and then I don't know how many months later that event happened and that person who was sitting next to me was my girlfriend who I hadn't met yet but what's happened over the past few years and I know there's a thread on the Paracast forum somewhere I I can't remember what it is about all sorts of research has been, that's come out uh, over the past few years uh, regarding the brain. We now know what causes out-of-body experiences. We now know what causes deja vu experiences. We there's there's another big one as well. I can't that I can't remember right now that has all come out in the, in the past couple of years, and we can induce these uh, these experiences intentionally by triggering uh, certain parts of the brain. So maybe. What I what I've experienced is you know it's just a, a regular misfire of the brain right. that sure. I am interpreting as you know a paranormal event when it when it actually it may not be um, my particular thing that I've run into hasn't been in all the details been figured out but there's been so much that's come out especially in the out of body and in the uh, the deja vu um, analysis it's like okay. Probably what I've experienced is, you know, as as Gene said in our in our little pre-talk, a brain fart. Right. Sure. Right. <laughs> no, and that's possible. And I think for a lot of people, when they have uh, precognitive dreams, I've always questioned those. And and I, and, I, and I'll tell you something. Just a couple of weeks before nine eleven, and nobody, none of us, I don't think anybody could have really guessed that. And I think there wasn't a single psychic that accurately predicted that. You'd think that if psychics were good, they would have been able to predict that day of any day. And well, what happened is they'll say after the fact that they predicted it, though. That's well, what always happens. That's exactly what happened. Many, many psychics after the event said that that they had seen it happen, but they, they, didn't, they didn't publish their... Yeah, uh, sure they didn't. Right, right. Uh, so, but, you know, all that aside, it was... I can tell you that my own experience 
there are a handful of dreams that I remember in my life. There may be three or four dreams that I have very, very vivid memories of. And the dream that I think I have perhaps the second most vivid memory of was a couple of weeks before 9-11. And I was fast asleep, and I was out on a beach around a campfire with people, and I was playing guitar, something that has happened in my life. And it was a beautiful full moon, and it was one of these things where the moon reflected on the water, and it was very mellow waves. And um, we were singing around this campfire, and I was looking up into the sky, and all of a sudden, the moon shattered. It's as if it had been hit from behind with some the biggest nuclear explosion ever, and it just shattered into pieces. And as we watched this happen, all of a sudden, the gravity changed underneath of us and I and I, I looked out to the ocean and there was this massive wall of water coming at us and we were all losing our balance and none of us could stay up and you know we're trying to like capture our, our capture ourselves from falling and here's this wall of water coming and I woke up into this terrible sweat I mean it was just a completely nightmarish feeling and uh, and I didn't get back to sleep that morning I was really perturbed by this dream and I'm not going to say I'm not going to claim that it was a precognitive dream, but I do know that when my brother woke me up in California, just, just a little over two weeks later, to tell me, David, turn on your TV, there's something going on, I woke up and he told me that. I remember the first thing that flashed in my mind was that dream. And there was this sense in the dream of gravity changing and everything changing. And, and certainly one could say... You know, I could go out and say, well, I had a precognitive dream and it really did represent what ended up happening. But I wouldn't make that connection because, quite frankly, I do not trust things in the dreamscape because I know that it's this alternate reality that has all sorts of connections to your conscious thoughts. I mean, you know, your subconscious stuff is worked out for the most part in dreams from what I understand. So I've never trusted dreams as, as a medium of any kind of precognition. And I think in that sense... Derek and Jean, I, I, I probably upset a lot of people who find a lot of credibility in dream study. I don't know that I feel that way, certainly not for anything precognitive. There are also so many different studies or ways to ana- analyze dreams, and it's it's so open to personal interpretation. Absolutely. You know, and, and that does problem. Now, as far as your particular dream, I just want to make sure that you, you weren't watching reruns of Thundar the Barbarian beforehand, were you? No. Actually, the thing about this, and when my brother called me, I don't think he realized, at that time, I had not had broadcast television for a number of years, probably going on six, seven years at that point. I had I'd had no broadcast TV at all, so I couldn't even turn on the TV to see the news because I had no TV uh, channels to turn on and actually r- ran to a friend's house but no I was not watching any reruns of goofy TV shows no I was not sorry to sorry that, to that, disappoint you that way that that opens up you know with the destruction of the moon and you know all the uh, everything all the waves and everything just wanted to make sure you don't want to go into what you missed by the way David you still don't have broadcast TV you got it and then you gave it up I again, turned it right? off that's right I absolutely okay. I turned it off about two months ago that's right there's I nothing can't. on I can't do that. For me, there's just way too much on. My TiVo is just full right now. <laughs> his TiVo and, and, is filled, and his brain is washed, and yours is unwashed. Is that right, David? <laughs> You're the unwashed individual. 
<laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, it's like anything else at this point with, with the Internet and DVDs. I just do my own programming. It's a lot easier. But no, Derek, getting back, um, getting back to this point of what the IIGS does. I keep saying IIGS. It's IIG West. That's where Correct. I keep screwing us up. I keep thinking actually, IIG West. It's actually just the Independent Investigations Group. It's just the IIG. Uh-huh. The reason for the West in the website name mm-hmm. is because the domain name of IIG was already taken. And uh-huh. since we were affiliated with uh, the Center for Inquiry, uh, which was at that time called CFI West, it's now CFI Los Angeles. Their website is CFIWest.org, so we went with IIGWest.org. But I also have it set, you know, you can type in IIGWest.com.net.org or IndependentInvestigationsGroup.com.net.org. You will find us. I insist on making it easy for people to find us, no matter how they spell it. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, though, all seriousness. So you guys go after cases that, well, for example, if you look at the current investigations page of the uh, IIG West website, what we find is that, you know, uh, some of the investigations that have happened. Uh, Sparky the Wonder Dog, Dickie Von Prague, his name is actually not James, it's Dickie. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, he renamed himself James because he was tired of the kids calling him Dickie VP. He's a second cousin to, to Cheney, so it gets all confusing. But, you know, you've got like, 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 Von Prague. You've got, you know, Sparky the Wonder Dog. You've got, uh, the Swiss One Arm Wonder. These are not, and, and help me out here, Derek, because these are not really cases where I think there's any huge controversy of whether or not these people have any abilities. It's kind of like talking about Sylvia Brown as anything but a nasty skank of a, of a, of a hoaxer. I mean, anybody who believes differently, I mean, you just look at, just look at a videotape of this woman talking. She is a, a, a hateful person. Oh, I agree. Um, so, I mean, are you guys going after the, the, the low-hanging fruit here? Well, there's actually, here, here's, uh, this is going to come out as an excuse, but it's just an explanation. It is an all-volunteer organization, and our actually finishing typing up reports does not happen in the time frame that w- would happen if we were being paid. There's a lot more that's going on, but we just have not had the time to to get the these reports published and put on on the website. There's there is a lot more that's happened. Um, most of it is stuff that comes to us. Most of the investigations are people who come to us asking for us to look into things. There's uh, Carla Barron is actually I, I think our best investigation that we've done because that's the one where we actually went out and was like, okay, Carla Barron is someone who claims to be a psychic detective. Right. And she has a fair amount of popularity due to her appearances on the TV show Psychic Detectives. And in Europe, there's a thing called um, uh, Most Haunted or, or something like that, or Haunted Evidence or uh, something along that line. And we were at this, when we found out about her, it was because we were doing the thing at um, the Learning Center. I don't know if you had the Learning Center. Oh, yeah, in New York. York. I think it actually started in New York, if I'm not wrong. So we just decided, as a bit of a lark, let's go there. Let's go to some of these sessions. And um, I think one of the first ones we did was the spoon bending one. Because it's just, (laughs) A, if you're going to have a paranormal ability, what good is spoon bending? 
Uh, you, boy. I, do you, are you ever in a situation where you're going, I really wish I had a bent spoon right now? Well, if you hate, you know where you might no, want to bend no. a spoon. Let me just tell you where I think you're going to want to bend a spoon. Okay, you break up <laughs> with a woman, or a woman breaks up with a man. They went out and they purchased some silverware, and you want to cause damage. You know, there used to be only two ways, neighbors, to meet for business, over the phone or in person. Well, now there's a better way. Use GoToMeeting to meet online. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees your computer desktop on their computer screen. So you get the best of both worlds. It's like meeting in person, but without wasting time and money traveling. And you know what the airlines are doing these days. It's a complete mess. And remember this, your conference calls will be more effective. The best part is that you can try GoToMeeting free right now for 30 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. We're talking to Derek Bartholomus on the Paracast, <laughs> and he is a gentle, intelligent, responsible person who happens to be a skeptic. And we have nothing against skeptics. We wanted to have a skeptical approach. We take a skeptical approach to the paranormal. Maybe his is more skeptical than ours, but we want somebody who presents a responsible viewpoint on the subject. He is associated with the Independent Investigations Group, which is IIGWest.org, and we have a link for it at thepowercast.com. So as they do the updates, we can keep up. David. Well, okay, so you've got this Carla Barron person, and... Uh, I'm looking at this picture of her right now. So, she, you know, she's got that look. Seems like if you're going to do a class for learning annex, you have to look good, Derek. See, she's got the look. She, uh, I believe she was an actress at one point, like when she was in her 20s or something like that. She appeared in a couple of uh, low-budget films. But yeah. most of the people, like I said, we went to the Spoonbender, which was really funny because we actually brought anodized steel Utensils, the military grade, unbendable in any way. Right. The good and, stuff. And swap yeah. them. Swap them for her. <laughs> and, uh, and when she gets up to do her demonstration, she's just like, okay, now you just gotta do it and concentrate. Ben, Ben, and she's trying to make this thing bend. He's like, wait, these aren't my spoons. And she literally just said that in front of the class. Said that, bingo, end of story. <laughs> so, at that, right. Uh, and so there was one of these events, it was, uh, I think it was like a week, uh, uh, an afternoon of, of psychics or something like that. There was three psychics, and Carla Barron was one of them. Now, most psychics, including the uh, the, the person who, uh, who who's the basis of the TV show Medium, I'm, I'm blanking on her name right now. Alison um, Dubois. Yeah, Alison Dubois. If you go to Alison's uh, site, she does not say that she has ever solved any cases. Mm. And yet they're doing a TV show about her amazing abilities as a psychic detective. But she, on her site, she says, I haven't ever solved anything. Well, Carla Barron actually says, and, and what, what Allison does is more common, where it's like, I've helped or I've assisted the family or, you know, I've been involved or some, you know, kind of, but not giving any specific case details, which is much more common uh, what happens. 
But Carla actually gave specific cases, specific officers that she had been in contact with, and, and specific family members that she had been in contact with, and said that she had solved cases. And we're like, ooh, that's interesting. Let's look into this. And, <laughs> and it, as it turns out, if you, if you go to the investigations page, it turns out um, she hasn't. It's not as uh, as bad as the forestry experts in the Billy Meyer case who say that they compl- had nothing to do with Billy Meyer. But most of her cases, you know, they don't, you know, like with it. And she's always been on, you know, important, popular cases. You know, Nicole Brown Simpson, John Benet Ramsey, you know, people that you've heard of. The Elizabeth Smart case uh, is another one, you know. Of course, it's always you know popular cases that well, sure. people tend to, to be. It's like it's like people who claim to be reincarnated, and everybody is a reincarnation of Cleopatra. Yeah, of course, it's someone that you've heard of before. You don't want to be, of course, the reincarnation of Mary Lipschitz, who happened <laughs> to be working as a hairdresser just, in Brooklyn, New York, that, that. in 1903. <laughs> oh, jeez, <laughs> but. That was the thing. Is like, so, okay, so we spent, um, a guy by the name of Owen Hammer was the lead investigator uh, on the Carla Barron case. And we started going through her websites, going through her. We got banned off of all of her message boards that she's on and started looking into all of these people. We found the, the detectives. We talked to the, the head detectives on the cases. And... The thing is, what what tends to happen a lot with the the psychic detective sort of claims is if you call the police and say, I have a feeling that this person may be buried near water, the police have to take that information down and they have to include it as part of their report. And they also have to actually try to, to follow up on that piece of evidence. But it's not really evidence, uh, and it wastes untold man hours uh, for the detectives because, by law, they have to follow up on every lead that is given to them. So they can and use that as a gauge to say, you see, I participate in the investigation because they recorded my information. Of course, every right. other crackpot call they also recorded. Exactly. Like there is one of these. I'm, let me see if I can figure out which one it is right now. But on one of these, the, oh yeah, here the um, the Elizabeth Smart case. The police received eighteen thousand specific tips that they had to investigate. Nine thousand of those were from people who claimed that they were psychic or were using psychic-sounding language. So there's nine thousand tips that the police had to investigate. You know, that they could have actually, you know, been focusing on more, you know, legitimate. Uh, no, wait. Did they have to investigate these? Is there something that yeah. they are? Really? Yeah, no. By law, police departments, if they ever get tips in that have any sort of information that they can, you know, if they, if they say it's like so, someone is buried near Juneau, Alaska, well, they've got to go to Juneau, Alaska and, and look into it. Or, or you know, is that someone someone's buried along the the Mississippi River in Illinois? Well, they're going to have to look at that. It, it's because it's one of those things. If if they don't, and it turns out that that 
one tip is correct, you know, it means not, you know, being able to solve the case. So they, 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 if there's, if there's just no information at all, that, that they, there's no details to any of the information, then there's nothing they can do with it. But anytime any detailed tips, that's why, that's the, the lieutenant said it was 18,000 specific tips. These are tips that they had to follow up on that they received in the Elizabeth Smart case. And just think of how many man hours could have been used. Well, now, these were people who identified themselves as psychics when they called in these tips. 9,000 of them, they either said that they were psychics or were using language like a psychic, like I had a vision or <laughs> I had a dream or you know, something along that lines. Hmm. And w when Elizabeth was found, you know, the lieutenant said that they got so many calls from pe from the, the psychic saying, I told you so. Because, you know, it's basically she's alive, she's dead. Those are your two choices. And for all the people, you know, he didn't have no idea how many thousand of them said, you know, she's alive. Well, all those people, you know, or most of those people ended up calling in the police department and said, you know, see, I told you that she was alive. And then they went on George Snorri's show and said, you see, I'm a real psychic, everybody. Right. Then, then they say, I assisted with the investigation. Right. And here's the thing. Psychics are never, well, I don't want to put never. I don't want to ever say never, never. But from the people that we've spoken to, the police don't call the psychic for help. The psychic gets involved with the family who then asks the police to listen to the psychic. Well, that, of course, creates the climate of the family's vulnerable. They're mm -hmm. under a great deal of stress, a great deal of pain because their loved one is missing. So they will grasp at straws and they become vulnerable to somebody who's going to pull the wool over their eyes. Exactly. And, and, sure. and that, the, the, the psychic detective sort of people, like, you know, like Sylvia Brown, I find these people just morally reprehensible. Sylvia Brown should just basically be shot. I mean, that woman has provided more pain to people, giving them false stories. I mean, the, the show, I'm forgetting the kid's last name, but that one case of that kid that she told the parents he was dead and they found him alive. Like within just a couple of miles. I mean, I forget the name of the case. We had the fellow who runs the Stop Sylvia Brown website on the show, yeah. and it's just, she's absolutely disgusting. I, I, I'll tell you what's even worse. We're recording this on, sun, on a Sunday, and in today's Sunday New York Times magazine, there's an article about the woman who owns the publishing empire. This woman, Hayes, owns this publishing company that publishes, among other things, Sylvia Brown's books. Yeah. And uh, the reporter at, asked her, you know, what about Sylvia Brown? I'm going to paraphrase this because the article's not right in front of me. But this woman tells the reporter, oh, don't even talk about her, please. Uh, she's our best-selling author. Now, this woman, Hayes, claims to be uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, a worker of the light. That, you no. know, she's working to help people's spiritual evolution. And it's like... Give me a freaking break. Here you are giving a platform to someone who has caused people a tremendous amount of harm and what, what grief. What happened with, with these sorts of people is, and same thing for the Von Progs and the John Edwards and any of the, the mediums part of the group, is the problem is they are delaying the natural grief process. They're either, or they're intentionally... Uh, manipulating it. They're mm -hmm. either giving false right. hope 
so that they're not able to move on with their lives, or they've given false, uh, I don't know what the lack of hope, you know, like the thing we were saying that the person's dead when they're really alive, you know. It, it, it's just disgusting. Yeah, they're shattering their reality. I mean, they're just shattering it. And and even in the case of Brown, I mean, she again, she should just be drowned because she, she, she sits there with this smug look. And there's been enough research on her and enough stuff uncovered on her where it's pretty clear that she's just an absolute parasitic vulture. Truly, well, just a nasty human being. And so you have some vast majority of people that claim to have capabilities but are like that. But here's the thing, and, and we're going to talk about this a lot more in the second hour, but what do you do, Derek, when you're confronted with something genuinely paranormal? And, and I'll give you a perfect example of this, and you and I have talked about this, I think, a little bit offline. We had a Paracast episode with a filmmaker by the name of um, David Schoenstein, and he had lived in Brazil for years, married a Brazilian woman, and he had done a lot of research into the case of Jose Arigo. Now, this is a really deeply fascinating case that I found out about living in South America that uh, John G. Fuller wrote a book, The Resurgence of the Rusty Knife. There is film footage. There is ample photographic evidence. There was a tremendous amount of research done on this man that somehow, and nobody claims to understand this at this point, but this guy... In my mind, I'm convinced, doesn't mean anything to anybody but me, and the you know million and a half to two million people this guy cured or saved their lives. And he did it with a set of parameters that are absolutely insane, but yet this guy somehow did what he did. And when we go to James Randi's website, the one entry on his website that dismisses this whole case. Oh, his family lived in town, and his brother-in-law had the pharmacy, where is the was the only place in town where you could get the prescriptions that his assistant wrote out filled. And that was it. And that's the whole Ari Go story. It was all just about supporting his family. If you do any research into this case, Derek, any amount of research, you discover that what Randy has put up is absolute nonsense. It really is. And what ends up happening is that you have a case here where of all the faith healers who have ever existed, and obviously most of them are like the charlatans that dealt with people like Andy Kaufman in the Philippines. They're palming chicken livers. It's just crap. But Arigo is the real deal. There's, again, there's photographic evidence. You see film footage of Arigo taking a knife and shoving it into a person's eye and swacking the knife around up inside under their eyelid, and these people are standing perfectly still. Now, there's no way. This is not a joke. I mean, the reason I know about the Arigo case was because of the work that my father did, and I talked about this in the episode. People can listen to it if they want with David Shonestein. But I talk about my father doing newsreel uh, uh, stuff in Caracas in 1974 when we moved down there, he was a director of newsreels that played before movies, and he did a segment debunking bogus faith healers, because this is just a few years after Arigo had died. He did a piece debunking bogus faith healers, but balanced the piece by then interviewing people he found in Caracas who had been cured by Arigo. We're talking about, again, over a 20-year period, somewhere between a million 
and a half to two million people. That's a lot of people. Okay? And he never took dime one. Nothing. Not a dollar changed hands. Not a cruzero changed hands. Nothing. So there was no financial motive here at all. I'll tell you what. I'll ask Derek's reaction to what David just said. But we have to tell everybody... Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Talking with Derek Bartholomus, who's champing at the bit to respond to what David Bietney says about Arigo. And I listened to that show, and it was just utterly fascinating. So what do you think? Well, as, as David, as you and I have said off, offline, I haven't looked into the Arigo case. Right. Um, so I, I don't know any of the specifics regarding Arigo. All, all I can mention are some generalities regarding uh, some faith healers, and these may or may but, not apply. Right, but to, let's, to, not, let's not do that. What I'm asking you is, confronted with a case that is genuinely unexplainable in conventional terms, what stance does the IIG take then? Then, then that, that, that opens up a whole other realm of investigation. So far, that hasn't happened. We haven't found something that hasn't been explainable by, you know, prosaic means, but if we were to ever discover something, let's say we found someone who could levitate or something like that, mm-hmm. that and, and, and it turned out that this person really could do this, right? and that opens up a whole other realm of, of, of investigation. That's, then that's pulling in, you know, that's getting the big guns. We've got some contacts at some of the larger research labs and stuff like that, that, you know, if need be, it's like, okay... We cannot explain this. This could possibly be a a new, you know, event. You know, it now takes people much bigger people than us to 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 start analyzing this because we've explained everything that we think that this could be, and it's not it. That takes it a whole new thing. And most of us, and I'll say, you know, there are dogmatic people on all sides. But most of us, uh, I would I would say, in the you know, quote unquote skeptical community, would love it if we found someone who truly was a psychic. If we found you know a real 
UFO or a real body of an extraterrestrial alien. We would absolutely love it because that that's just opens up the realms for such wonderful scientific discovery to be able to 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 be the one to to have discovered something like that. And you know, if for say if it was a, a real extraterrestrial craft or a real extraterrestrial occupant, you know, that would be huge. That would just be absolutely wonderful to to be able to authenticate. And we love it. You know, I mean, there you know, you always have to be careful whenever you're investigating something. But if we came up with something that we truly could not explain, and and it seemed that all of our normal conventional methods aren't working, well, it's time to figure out new conventions then. See, the thing is, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a moment because I'm oh so good at doing that. <laughs> oh, no, no, never. No, no, but seriously, here's the thing. <laughs> you say you'd love it, but I bet you wouldn't. See, oh. that's the thing about this. No, no, no. Hire me off for a minute because okay. this is like the UFO people who say these are extraterrestrials. We know it. And if we've got an alien body, we could prove it. And I've said to some of these people, okay, so now you get the body. And now what you realize as you examine the body is that the body does not actually occupy a discrete location in our time space. The body is shifting, phase shifting, in and out of three-dimensional solidity. The body proves that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is out the window, and indeed what we're dealing with is something far more difficult. The extraterrestrial people, in my opinion, would do everything in their power to bury the case. Why? Because they've built a castle out of a set of ideas, and the last thing anybody who's built a castle wants is to destroy the foundation. And the point that I'm making here is that what you said, Derek, you said that there are some people in the organization that are that are dogmatic. I contend that if you take those people and you hand them something that is genuinely unexplainable, that genuinely questions the stance of we are not being visited by quote-unquote extraterrestrials, if you handed something to them that seemed to basically blow that assumption apart, they're not going to want to change their worldview. You know, sadly, people say they want the truth, but... Look at American society. It's pretty damn clear to me that you've got an entire culture based on denials and lies. And there's no way at this point you try to hand people the reality of what's going on, like with our country. They say they'd like to hear the reality. But if it meant that their comfortable lifestyles would have to get thrown out the window, I bet you anything, man. And I'd love to be wrong, but I bet you anything that they will go, la, 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 la as long as they have to, to not deal with the reality. And the fact of the matter is that is exactly the state in which we find ourselves as a culture today. Well, also, David, before Derek answers, I want to throw out my two cents here, and that is that I think people who have a commitment to a belief system right. in UFOs, the paranormal, whatever, they're from Mars, that the one-and-a-half-armed men in Europe, yeah, yeah, that yeah. particular guy turns out to be fake their entire ecosystem has gone down the drain. Their egos are shattered. They can't allow that to happen. Their house of cards is now blown apart. Right. Same reason, same either way. So what do you think, Derek? Here's uh, one way of looking at it. Uh, I agree that the initial 
you know, reaction is not going to be positive by and large. But what happens is over time, if it is authentic, if it, if it really is what is the way the world works, eventually we turn around there. We, you know, the church said that the earth was flat. Well, we found out it wasn't. The church said the earth was the center of the solar system. Science found that it wasn't. You know, people were killed for saying that, you know, the sun was actually the center of the solar system, that we were, that the earth was not the center of not just the solar system, but of the universe. People, people have been killed for that. And it took decades or sometimes centuries for that scientific evidence to be regarded as the laws of the natural world that we see today. So say that, you know, we found a, I'm just going to keep it simple by using the ETH. Yeah. You know, say we found an extraterrestrial body. Let's not even go with the ramifications of it being alive. There's going to be an tremendous hue and cry when that first happens. And no one really knows how everybody's going to react. Some people are right. going to react in terror. Some people are going to react in joy. And some people aren't going to react at all. But there are going to be those group of people who will look at it as a wonderful new opportunity for scientific exploration. And eventually, that group of evidence, I believe, would permeate. But it'll take you know decades or longer, probably. But eventually, if that uh, body is, in fact, extraterrestrial in origin, then there won't be any possibility to to hide it over time we've churches and governments have tried to hide things repeatedly that they didn't like sure and it always gets out and eventually you know if if it's a strong enough or if it's a big enough of an idea eventually it will win out i mean look at it's like it's been what 150 200 years since darwin uh came up with the 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 the, uh, analysis of um of evolution, and we're still having that fight. Ultimately, that is the, the fight is going to go entirely into in, into the evolution side. In time, we we won't have the we we won't have the creationist belief. But yeah, it's yeah. not been two hundred years, and it may be another two hundred years before that fight is over. Sure, and at that point, you'll even have people then. Who are debating it? You know, ignorance is a pervasive disease. Yes, uh, it is a consistent and pervasive disease. I would suggest to you, Derek. There's a book um, that I've been reading this weekend, and I'm not sure if Gene started reading his yet. But we're going to have a guest on soon, Dr. Bernard Hache, and uh, a fascinating character. His, his website is a UFO skeptic. He's one of Jacques Vallée's contemporaries, and he's a Really interesting guy in terms of his thoughts about the UFO enigma. But he's actually going to come on the show and talk about a book that he's written, which, uh, from what I gather, is fairly controversial. And it's a fascinating book. It's called The God Theory. And you've got, I don't know, have you heard of this book? You've mentioned it to me offline, but I haven't right. had a chance to, to look into it. Yeah, I mentioned it to our audience for the first time. I've been reading it this weekend. And here you've got a guy who is a renowned astrophysicist, comes from a very scientific background, um, who as a teenager was uh, also really thinking that he might go into the seminary. 
Um, his mother was a strict Catholic, and he had a strict Catholic upbringing, but ultimately science won over, and he went on to become this fairly well-regarded scientist, actually a very well-regarded scientist. But he has written this book, which essentially, from what I gather from the portion I've read so far, I've just been reading it this weekend, but he's attempting to integrate and synthesize the uh, you know, seemingly disparate points of view of faith and science. And something that he postulates that I have felt intuitively is the case for a long time when you hear about the discussion of intelligent design, quote-unquote, versus evolution, that these are somehow mutually exclusive ideas. The thing that always has jumped out to me about that is the insane amount of human vanity tied up in that belief, that somehow humans can say evolution is not here by design, that evolution is a natural process that is completely isolated unto itself, that it can't have an external hand. I look at that and I think, much like apparently Dr. Hayes thinks, why are these things separate ideas? Can't evolution potentially be exactly that, the, the actual physical manifestation of a process that did have the, the hand of a designer? You know, is that a possibility? I mean, you kind of get the idea that secular humanists, of which, by the way, I consider myself one, which is kind of a weird thing, but I think of myself definitely as a secular humanist. But yet at the same time, I try to be humble enough to realize that the idea that that I, human, will understand the the reality and the purpose of it, universe, it's like the ultimate example of ego. It just seems to me patently ridiculous. Well, here's here's one thing to, to keep in mind. Now, when talking about the intelligent design, quote-unquote, theory, right? they're really talking God. There, there is actually a way for the intelligent design theory to be real and authentic and part of the scientific process, right. and that is if extraterrestrials seeded this planet. But that's not the type of designer that those advocates are talking about. Well, are they thinking about God as the guy with the white beard? Yeah. See, one of the and things the that, snake. and the, yeah, and the talking snake. That's the problem. The, the actual, yeah. the actual core part. It is, it is possible, however unlikely, that intelligent design as a theory could work, but only if it came from an extraterrestrial source, because then it would still be within the natural universe. Are you putting the idea of a central intelligence outside of the natural universe? Well, I'm talking about the concept of God as a omnipotent, uh, overseen entity or, or event or, or I don't know what the, the they always say that it is of a not of a physical nature of not being and you know and I, in, until a few years ago I was actively going to church every weekend so oh, really? yeah. okay. Well, All right. okay so we're going to have to explore your transformation <laughs> and so, part two of the show so, <laughs> by the way, so I just want to tell everybody that we're talking to Derek Bartholomus. He's a TV post-production person. He's associated with the Independent Investigations Group. And David and I will have lots to talk about on Hour 2 of the PowerCast. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at com. That's news at com. 
And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. On hour two of the Paracast, we're talking to Derek Bartholomus, and he's taken a couple of minutes just to relax between sections to kind of get caught up on everything because we start entering into the concept of a god of... Well, intelligent design. We know now that there's this movie that Ben Stein, who was either a financial analyst, a comedian, an actor, or something, now has this documentary he's participating in where he's talking about intelligent design. Now, obviously, if the ETs designed us, I guess that's an intelligent design, right? Well, that's the only one that that could be uh, within the realm of uh, physical possibility even though that itself is rather unlikely. And Ben Stein's movie that he's got out called Expelled is in itself filled with uh, dishonesty because the uh, they interviewed several scientists and like Richard Dawkins and P.Z. Meyer and I um, can't remember her name right now with another uh, prominent bio, um, biology uh, professor. Um, and they were told that they were being interviewed for an entirely different film for by an entirely different company. Whoa. Yeah. And and then they found out that the name Expelled had been registered, the, dom- the, the domain site for the film was registered under the name Expelled prior to any of them being interviewed. And one of the questions that they, they asked people is, what do you think, is, is there anyone who's... Uh, Who's dishonest in the in the uh, in the debate? And of course, now we know it's the producers of this film who are dishonest in the in the debate. Uh, they would have been happy. Everyone said that they would have been happy having an honest debate on uh, intelligent design and religion and in the uh, science classroom. But that's not what they were asked about. Uh, and then they take their their words out of context and then try to equate Darwinism with Hitler and the extermination of the Jews in World War II. That tends to get people rather upset. Is that what that documentary does? Yeah. And they're being sued by Yoko Ono right now because they uh, used the song Imagine without getting it cleared. Oh, great. That's a good good move on. How can I do something so stupid? Um... <laughs> You kind of think in, that in that would Hollywood be the business? Come on. Listen, well. first of all, Ben Stein, first claim to fame, one-time speechwriter for Richard M. Nixon. There you go. That's always... And then uh, for saying thing. Bueller a lot. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. He, the, the thing is, here we're back to polarization. I'll tell you what, before yeah. you mention that, the thing I remember about yeah. Ben Stein is the line he makes in the movie The Mask. The masks we wear, forget it. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is a piece of wood. <laughs> he was much more honest and skeptical in, in, in his character in the mask than he is in this. Because, again, they, they tried setting this up. And uh, I know when he interviewed, my, he wanted to have all these questions about, the, about people being, uh, you know, kicked out of their jobs for believing in, in God and, and stuff like that. And it's like, no one's been kicked out of their job. 
even the people in the film that they claim as their best case subjects weren't fired from their jobs. One of the examples, I can't remember his name right now, but he was an unpaid research uh, fellow at um, a branch of, I believe it was the Smithsonian. And when his term was up, the person who had sponsored him had retired. And so he didn't have a sponsor anymore, but they let him stay on as, you know, another unpaid researcher. And so he's still in the same position now that he had then. And yet they're claiming that he was, because they, they, they remodeled the offices and had him move to a different office. That apparently is why he thinks he was, uh, quote-unquote, expelled. Mm. Yeah, because these days, if you believe in God, it's not like you could be the president of the United States or anything. But here's the other thing that you know there are there are many people in uh, the physical sciences who are believers. Now there there is a there is a large percentage. The the, the vast percentage is is uh, non-believers, either out and out atheist or uh, what do you call the um, agnostic, agnostic, you know, general non-belief sort of thing. But secular humanists, secular yeah. humanists. We're back to that, right? Yeah, exactly. So there are definitely. People who believe there's one person, he, he's a, he's an evolutionary biologist, but he is also, I think, a Roman Catholic, and he, you know, he does the whole every he follows every uh, uh, line that you're supposed to do, but it doesn't interfere with his science, and so uh, no one has any problems with that. It's if your religious beliefs start interfering in the quality of your work, then then there's a legitimate issue to bring up. But, and, and some of these people, like one person in the film, from my understanding, and I haven't seen the film, is not, not actually playing anywhere near where, where I live in L.A., and there's one person who wrote something in a peer-reviewed journal, but he was the editor of his own article. He wouldn't let anyone see it. And so it didn't actually go through the peer-review process, and once it Up was there. published... Everybody who was who was an associate of that mag of of that journal just was furious because it completely bypassed the the, the peer review process and uh, brought some some discredit to to the journal. Sounds because like he must have been working for Michael Horn or something. <laughs> oh God! I'm serious. You know the same thing. They misrepresent everything over there. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing, and I know, uh, David, and I know you and I have talked about this offline before. The one thing that's interesting and I, is how some paranormal fields, and let's, let's just stick with, with uh, ufology for this example, want to be treated like science but don't follow the scientific process. Uh, one of the main ones being peer review. Now, I know Stan Friedman is one of the main uh, Roswell people, uh, who's who's like his arch enemy? Who who is like also a, a Roswell researcher, but has a completely different viewpoint? Well, you can go down a list of people, each having their own take on it, and for the most part, most of them engaging in the lovely level-headed politics that seem to be uh, constantly rearing its ugly little policies here in this thing called ufology. So, you know, who's his arch enemy? Uh, there are, what, uh, maybe uh, 10 different people with 10 different completely takes on this, and everybody's got their own little special exclusive piece, like the Don Schmidt, uh, Tom Carey thing with the uh, 
the hot affidavit the final thing that came out as Walter Hart died, that whole little uh, deathbed disclosure that, oh, yes, we saw aliens. And so you have that kind of a thing. You have, there are a bunch of different camps. Let's use Don as an example. All right. So the way the peer review process works is, and if it were to be put into the UFO uh, uh, research realm, say Stan Friedman has an article that he once published. He would have to send it to Don Schmidt to review and for Don to critique it and agree to what Stan had come up with in order for it to be published. Right. Well, that's an academic process. You you, you have an academic process at play, which clearly the the term academia is nowhere near anything relating to this field. It just isn't. And I think think that's a huge problem because it allows the peer review process allows you to get rid of uh, the, the, the chaff and, and just concentrate on, on, on the good part, the wheat part. And you don't really seem to have that that much in ufology. People are, have all these, you know, little fiefdom, so, so to speak. Right. Right. That's the whole deal. But you know what? I mean, you look at a, let's look at a completely different field. If you want to try to understand these things, I always think about what happened with computer graphics over its history where at the beginning of the um, evolution of the field, you had a huge amount of sharing of information, and there was a sense that people were all working collectively towards a common goal. And as years went by and as it became more and more commercialized, what we saw is that, you know, for example, at SIGGRAPH, the papers were uh, less and less substantial. There were less and less people sharing really useful techniques because everything became commercialized because... Ultimately, that's the world we live in. And, and sadly, there's so much of academia at this point that is suffering from this exact problem. You know, I mean, I have one word for you, grants. So you, you, you have a situation where, where, for the most part, and I'm not saying I'm happy about this, but I, I think you could make the, the case that in a vast majority of fields that are doing intensive research of any sort, the objectivity of peer review in that it's not I'm not saying it's a completely objective process, obviously the whole point of it being, you know, one's peers makes it subjective, but the ratios are completely off now. And so ultimately and, and here's in long talks I've had with Jeff about this topic, what it really comes down to is that it would appear, sadly, that any useful um, gains that are made by researchers in this field are gonna be done by researchers essentially pursuing solitary agendas and moving in, in, in those directions, because ultimately, certainly in the case of quote-unquote ufology, most people approach it as nothing more than another form of entertainment. It's not um, something that has any academic value for a lot of people. It's simply a meal ticket. And so, um, you know, when you look at it from that point of view, then you know, trying to do a peer review process just wouldn't, it's not going to work. The nature of the beast doesn't support it, sadly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's everybody's too busy getting their own thing going. And yeah. of course, and I think if you're going to have peer review, you have to decide who is going to review what, and then who is going to be in the wrong end of the stick if the peer review doesn't pass muster. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born. 
calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, attack. Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. Hey, Derek Bartholomus is on the Paracast this week, and he is a very intelligent, level-headed, skeptical researcher. And I know a lot of listeners have wondered why we don't have one of those skeptics on there. We wanted to find somebody who is willing to look at both sides of the equation, and Derek seems to be that kind of person who's associated with the Independent Investigations Group. David. Well, Derek, the, the way that I guess we found out about each other was through the Billy Meyer UFO quote-unquote case. Now, I'm curious, yeah. what is it about this case that caught your interest? Why have you spent so much time on basically showing that a turkey is something you eat on Thanksgiving? I mean, you know, what's the story? Um, it all comes down to an idiot and a liar. <laughs> I, 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 this is not something that I sought out. What happened in early 2001, I believe it was, Prior to the IIG's existence, Michael Horn showed up at the old Center for Inquiry address in Marina del Rey that they used to rent. Uh, they're now located in, in Hollywood. And showed up, uh, just knocked on the door one day, came in and talked to a guy uh, who's a part-time employee named Von Rees and asked him what he thought about some pictures and some films. And, and Vaughn did an incredibly stupid thing, which is he's apparently said it's an easily reproducible hoax. And when you are affiliated with an organization like CFI or, you know, later like with the IIG, you have to stay away from the term hoax. Uh, it's a semantic issue because we certainly believe that something may be a hoax, but technically, the only person who can declare something as a hoax is the person who perpetrated it. Mm -hmm. And everything else is showing how it could be hoaxed and, and, present, and coming up with lines of evidence that would support the quote-unquote hoax hypothesis. But you can't definitively call something a hoax unless you're the one who did it. For example, the, uh, the Patterson film of Bigfoot. You know, everyone you know kind of thought that this was a hoax for a long time, but it wasn't until a few years ago when the guy in the suit actually came out and finally admitted he was the guy in the suit. And National Geographic had—I don't know if it's if it's still in production or not—but had a wonderful show called "Is It Real?" And it was like half of the episode was on the believer side and half of the show was on the skeptic side which is very rare for any sort of paranormal-themed uh, TV show. 
the thing that they did, one, one of the things that was always commented on the, the, the Bigfoot that was in the Patterson film was the way that it moved. It didn't move like a normal person. Well, what they did on Is It Real is they set the camera up across the street and just had the guy walk from left to right on the sidewalk. And that's just the way the dude walks. That okay, he doesn't a, walk like a normal person. Right. He just has this weird <laughs> sloping gait to him. And it, it was like, more than anything, that just puts the nail in the coffin. He's like, that is exactly how that thing uh, moved. And he's like, I guess from a small town in Northern California. And everyone in this town kind of knew that he was the guy. But they all just kind of, you know, ah, whatever. They didn't think a big deal about it. So now it can officially be, you know, called a hoax because the guy who did it finally admitted to it. Billy Meyer has not admitted to hoaxing his material. So all we can do is investigate the, the claims and to show alternate theories for it, you know, show, show how this could be done in non-extraterrestrial uh, ways by doing photo analysis, which you have done, and which mm -hmm. Jeff has done, and which I have done, and examining the prophecies and examining all the, the audio files and all that sort of stuff. Because the one thing about the Meyer case is that there's just, unlike other UFO cases, which have you know maybe one or two people that say that they saw something and took some pictures, there's just a lot of stuff regarding the Meyer, which I think is why it keeps coming back year after year. Because, you know, someone new, every generation, someone new comes along and it's like, oh, cause, you know, they're, they're interesting pictures. But, but it, it doesn't lead to uh, any of it being, you know, true, like he's, you know, like he's really in contact. So what ended up happening is that uh, Horn and Vaughn engaged in telephone and email correspondence and Vaughn never informed the center that he was doing this. And in I think around the summer of 2001 is when the when the group uh, was formed or late spring. So it was like a few months after this this initial contact happened, the IIG was formed. And I think it was in 2002 is when one of our members was listening to Coast to Coast and heard Michael Horn on the air talking about Vaughn Reese and the Center for Inquiry. And it was like, "What?" <laughs> And then we asked him, was like, what's this all about? And then we found out that Michael had, we had said, he was like, no, don't, don't have contact with this guy. It's, it's useless to, to engage in a conversation with this sort of, sort of thing. Because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's showing the elements of a propagandist. And then we found out that he in, in, continued to engage in his correspondence and Horn eventually published all of the emails that mm -hmm. Vaughn had written over over the year or so. And then it was like, that's when I jumped in. It was like, okay, you cannot have any contact with this guy at all. Let me get into this and let me try to, to get this under control. And because of what Vaughn did, it just muddied the waters from the beginning. He never should have said anything about it be, being an easily reproducible hoax and then not actually doing anything to attempt to reproduce it, which was, a, which was a problem. We have very mixed feelings about Michael Horn and the Billy Meyer case in the IIG because it's annoying. It's taken a lot more of my time than I ever would have wanted it to. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same point, it's one of the 
main ways that people have found out about the group. Because every time Horn speaks somewhere or sends one of his press releases, he always mentions us. And so we, we've gotten a lot of traffic. We, we have a website because of him. You know, we, we registered the name IIG West because IIG was taken. It's actually, we have IIGWest.com.net.org and independentinvestigationsgroup.com.net.org because I believe in making it easy for people to find me no matter how they spell it or what extension right. they put Sure, it. sure. Um, and first thing that we did was like, okay, here's some photo, here's some photo comparisons. And that, and that was basically the, the start of the IIG website was to start to counter some of the claims of, of Horn and the other uh, the other Meyer followers and, and, and believers and so on. And I, I've got lots of research that I'm working on collating and getting ready to post on the website for a big part of a big redesign of our investigations page. The problem is is you, you know I do work right now I'm working twelve to plus hours a day, six days a week. And then I have other things I like to do. I run a couple of other uh, political-based websites. And then I, you know, the very last thing in, on my list of things I want to spend time on is doing the research on the Meyer case. But I know that I just need to get it out there because I've, I've collected a lot of stuff. You know, one of the big things that happened earlier this year was my getting in touch with uh, the forestry experts that Horn uses uh, and quotes from as as uh, promoters of the case and people who have uh, authenticated the uh, the photographs of, of Meyer and have said that these are full-size mature trees and therefore that is a large-scale uh, craft in in the branches of these trees well it turns out none of them said that and there's a there's a thread on the above top secret board that I started just in order to get the information out there quickly because it was going to be faster to do that than uh, wait for everything to get on the IIG site. And, you know, Jeff has posted his his uh, findings, his the misquotes that he's discovered from Michael Malin and, and Robert Post. And it, it's become quite interesting uh, this this year as we get little bits and pieces of information. I've been in, I've actually been in touch with a, a couple of people that he has been put forward as actual um, aliens, and turns out they're not. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I hear Dean Martin spinning somewhere. Yes, yeah, somewhere. I assume these people bit. had worked for the yeah. Dean Martin show. Of yeah, course, as you know, two weeks ago on the Paracast, David encounters Jim Dilatoso, Phoenix-based photographic analyst. That He's was somebody. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was just brilliant. <laughs> and I don't know if brilliant's the right description, but it was I had, something. I had such a huge uh, grin on Mommy because it was on, on yours and then it was on Jeremy's podcast and then on uh, Jeff's yes. website. All three different interpretations of what had happened and it was just wonderful. And to have the guy just come flat out and say about the wedding cake, oh, those are simply models. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, but but again, see, here's the thing. So, okay, you're spending all this time debunking this case that, yeah, I have to say it, it's low-hanging fruit. The stuff is easy to pick. At this point, I, I mean, can we agree that anybody at this point who is caught up in this case is not someone you're ever going to have a useful, rational discussion 
about this topic with you. It's just you, you. I would tend to agree. What my goal is right now with the case is yeah. there is not ATS is close. The Paracast forum is close, but there isn't a, you know, quote-unquote, one-stop shopping for all the claims, and here's all the evidence about those claims. Well, that's and true. that's what I'm yeah. hoping to, to create with, with all this, when I finally get all this research, you know, collated. I've tried to, to get people to help me in the past in the group, but unfortunately, all the information is either in my head or on my computer, and... I can't quite find a way to, you know, just try to discuss it with someone so they can try to write, help write the reports on this. Unfortunately, it all has to wait for me to, to get the time to, to, res- to, to finally get it out there. Now, you also and, have day jobs. Yeah, I think it's going to take, you know, <laughs> two to three weeks of uninterrupted and motivated uh, work <laughs> to, to, to do it. And I don't really have... A, that much time, or B, that much motivation. <laughs> because it's one of those things. It's a drag. Every time I have to pull it up, I say, like, okay, let's go through this again, and then the, then the, the headaches happen again. Um, <laughs> eventually, it'll all get up there, and then I'm hoping that's basically the last I, I'll ever have to deal with it, and I can just point to people to the website and like, here, here's how this stuff is explained. And people are not going to care because they're too busy watching... The, uh, the the revolution of nonsense. You know, they're 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 too busy being entertained. We're back to the problem that this topic. It seems to me that this topic for the majority of people is nothing more than entertainment. And so they like the Billy Meyer stuff because there's a huge amount of material, which means they can distract themselves with the nonsense. You know, a longer amount of time. And people don't want to think about this stuff. So. How do you take what you're doing and use that, or can you use that to help people think more clearly about this stuff? Or ultimately, Derek, do you even care what people think about this other than, okay, this case is nonsense, that case is nonsense. You you can point out all the negatives, but do you ever say, hey, here's a case that's really interesting. For example, in the UFO field, there are a number of cases like this. Do we see... I mean, what if somebody comes to you and says, I want you to help me, again, you know, to establish that the case is real. And then you say, okay, we're going to take the evidence, we're going to look at it, we're going we're gonna to basically come to the conclusion it's not a hoax. At that point, does the IIG you know, actually do something other than let's paint red but never green do you see what i'm getting at i mean i I, I see what i see where you're going there's a bit of a false premise um it's one of those things we would not engage in in an investigation where someone said come prove that this is true it would be one of the one of those things we would go investigate to see what is happening Okay, well, okay, so not prove it's true. I'm sorry, I, that was the wrong wording. Just establishing the truth of something. Assuming right. it is true, right? Maybe yeah. there's stuff if, that's if, legitimate. If, if, if we were to, to run across something that uh, was legitimate, was truly, let, let's just say extraterrestrial, uh, just for, for to, to keep it easy, uh, because it could be anything, you know, the, the, para, the realm of the paranormal, so many different uh, flavors to it. If we were to find something and we were able to test it and, and prove conclusively that this is a non-terrestrial 
say body or or organism or something like that. Let's, let's not think that something's alive, but you know something, you know, not a living body, but you know, if someone had a, a, a carcass or something that they claimed was extraterrestrial. Which, by the way, we actually have had uh, someone submitted an, an alien skull to us once before for examination. Um, unfortunately, it was a rock that had uh, created what appeared to be two eyes because of um, rock-boring clams in it. And, and that's another thing that happens is, is pareidolia. Right. You know, so people see sh- patterns and things that in, in random noise. Let me throw a what-if at you. Before okay. we throw the what-if... This is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net you are about to enter another dimension a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind a journey into a sinister land of secret rites passwords initiations and handshakes where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. What if I said that we have Derek Bartholomus on the show? and that he's an investigator for the Independent Investigations Group, and that David Biedney is now going to pose a hypothetical question. What if I said that? I think that works. <laughs> that, that seems pretty accurate. <laughs> right. Somebody brings you an object, a solid, physical, tangible object, and you deploy the scientific method to figure out what this object is. And every single form of instrumentation that you have or have access to or gain access to essentially tells you that that object is not real. It's not there. Yet you are handling, touching, dealing with an object. Not quite following. How would some, if how would it be? Well, not see, how would it be tangible yet intangible? What well, is there? A what if you have a ta- yeah 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 you have a you have a you have a tangible object in front of you. And it has 
It does not appear. On a, if you take a photo, it's not there. If you attempt to do spectral analysis, you get nothing because it's not there. You're touching it. You're feeling it. You put it on a scale. It doesn't weigh anything. But when you pick it up, it has weight. What I'm basically describing is a paradox. What is the procedure that the IIG has in order to study a paradox? Is there is there an established procedure? Is there any kind of a, a, an approach that you would engage to say, okay, how do we even define what a paradox is? So I'm giving you a set of specific, explicit parameters. You have an object that you can touch and you can feel, but yet every piece of instrumentation you have, every scientific device to gauge mass, heat emission, any physical characteristic, what you would normally define as a physical characteristic, every piece of instrumentation you have says it isn't there, and your eyes and your brain see it as there, and so do five other people's. What do you do then? That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't ever really thought of, uh, about that sort of thing. Well, see, this is for, for, first what, off. What I'm, just, what I'm describing to you, Derek, is the experience of the experiencer. This is the paradox that we face, where you have something happen to you that everything you know about the nature of reality, every piece of instrumentation you have, including your brain, tells you one thing, and yet your eyes and your friend's eyes <laughs> see this thing in front of you. And now you have to reconcile that. And so, you know, how do you deploy logic to deal with something that is completely illogical based on all experience? When it comes to, when it comes to uh, experiences, it, it depends also if it's a repeatable experience. Or if, it's a, if it's a one-time thing, there's really not much that can be done. If it's an experience that has some form of repeatability, then that makes it more likely to be able to, to, to analyze it. If it's uh, something what that affects... What, what about 20 experiences, each with a different shaped object, an object apparently made out of a different material, some objects solid, some gaseous, some liquid, and all of these objects, all of them, cannot be measured with any scientific instrumentation. Now, do you think that would put you in the territory of uh, essentially short circuiting as a logical being? I mean, let's say uh, that would that would uh, force me to try to find, you know, another person or another facility or something like that much smarter and with better equipment to try to get them to involve to try to analyze it. Mm -hmm. And then if they can't do it, go to another person because there should be even get, being able to eliminate possibilities helps lead to an answer. So it, it would be one of those things where if, if such an event were to come to us, and so far there hasn't been anything like that that's come to us, right. Mm -hmm. um, but if something were like that were to come, we would just have to keep going to the next step. And like, okay, it's not this. Could it be this? Well, we have no way of testing that here. We have people at JPL. Let's see if they have anything that they might be able to help us with. Or, or some, we, you know, we had someone um, in, in Britain. I can't remember where, but at another, I think at Cambridge or something like that. There was, you know, we, there's a few people out there that we've. Uh, that we've brought in 
from time to time uh, to, to help us with investigations who have, you know, there is no quote unquote research facility we, uh, we have at the IIG itself, um, but we have uh, uh, associates that have access to various labs and so on that we, we are able to, to utilize from time to time. Uh, so we just have to be going, okay, can this person help us figure out what this is? They do their tests. They can't come up with an answer. It goes to the next person. And then you have to keep going until you get an answer. The, 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 the important part is to keep looking until you can figure out what something is. So basically, um, we're talking about a reductionist point of view there. I mean, basically, you you hone away until you get, you try to hone all of the noise down until you get to signal. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And the thing is, there is, eventually, you, you should be able to f- get a reading somehow. Maybe it's in the electromagnetic. Maybe it's in the infrared. Maybe it's in the ultraviolet. Maybe it's some. Maybe it's a heat or something. But if you're speculating has, here on what might cause something that you've never investigated mm-hmm. and has not been submitted to you, which is right. basically, <laughs> and we're basically running into a situation where we have two or more witnesses to an event that can't be repeated. So any experiencers' encounters fall into this category and if two people experience the same thing it becomes even more complicated because you're not able to handle it you're just speculating it's very it's very, it's very difficult again if it's if it's a one-time event or if it's a non-repeatable event or if it's something that like repeats but only every you know uh, several months or anything, it, it gets it gets hard to deal with, with the personal experiences up to a point um I can't remember if we talked about this in the, in the first hour or, or offline, but, for example, we had uh, a couple come to us about uh, seeing an apparition in their house. Right. We did talk about that, yeah. Oh, we did? We did talk about it in the first hour? Okay. Yeah, let's go ahead and let's... let's Never mind that story. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, <laughs> okay. We've had so many conversations on and offline that I can't remember which ones we've had. Um well, here's the thing. Let me let me ask you a question. Here's a question, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm, if you look at the Center for Inquiry website, you've got this guy Edward Tabash, attorney at law, honorary chair of the Center for Inquiry. Mm-hmm. He has an article on here. The evidence available in our universe shows that God really does not exist. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not <laughs> someone who has very hard uh, sort of lines in terms of my thoughts about belief in God. And that's because, when, I, I think that's a loaded word, obviously, because it, 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 it assumes you can't encapsulate something that probably can't be encapsulated. And you always run that, that risk. Um, but generally what people mean, it's sort of a universal force. Right. Here you've got a statement, a definitive statement saying, you know, you, you can, we can, there's evidence, physical evidence, that a thing that isn't physical doesn't exist. Now, from that point of view, if you if you approach that with any kind of logic, you're in as murky a territory as you are with Horn demanding that you fabricate images that prove that something is or isn't real, which is just, it's a circular argument, it's nonsensical. So, I mean, what's your thought about an article that is entitled that, 
I mean, do you think I, that I haven't, to- I haven't seen that that article? Eddie is a uh, is a constitutional lawyer, and his main thing that he engages in is in the separation of church and state. So he's been that's he's a useful engaged thing. In- and he was engaged in many, many debates. He, he travels around the country debating the existence or non-existence of God with um, various religious figures. So I haven't seen that article. And right. uh, so that, that, that may be, uh, he, he may be engaging in some, in some hyperbole in that, in that title. But his, his, that's his main thrust in, in, in the uh, the work that he does is on the constitutional law side of of uh, church state um, issues. So that's probably a distillation of some of the debates that he's had over the years. Would be my guess. But um, I hadn't I haven't I, I hadn't uh, seen that article. I have to to pull it yeah. up before yeah, we pull up anything else. Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Derek Bartholomus, and he is a skeptical inquirer, and he's associated with an organization called the Independent Investigations Group, and they have a $50,000 challenge. And I guess that's the first step towards the James Randi $1 million prize, right? It's not the first step. It's it's kind of a, a it's a um, parallel step. Okay. We we have our own fifty thousand dollar prize, which is uh, the process is based on the uh, the James Randi Educational Foundation million dollar paranormal challenge, uh, and we have done the the testing for several uh, JREF paranormal challenge claims from the, the West Coast because uh, Randy's located in Florida. So if there's things that are happening in, in the Southwest, we're usually the ones who, who do the, uh, the preliminary tests for him. And if he passes, if he passes the test, he not only would, the, the claimant would not only get our 50, but he would also get Randy's million. No one yet has, has passed it. In fact, what we do is slightly different from Randy. We offer people um, the ability for an informal demonstration of their claim where the money's not on the line, there's no parameters put in place. We just want to see what the person can do. And this person was claiming to be a healer, uh, that he could cure people of their diseases. And 
I actually happen to have one that's really easy to, to determine whether or not I've been cured or not. I would know within a couple of hours um, if I just didn't take my medication. And he was supposed to come out yesterday. He's from New York, uh, and he wanted to fly out here and do his informal demonstration. And then if that went well, you know, then apply, you know, then do the, the official test in, like, the, the next week, within the, this next week. Well, sure enough, and what happens 90% of the time is that after months and months of negotiating on trying to figure out what someone claims they can or cannot do, they when the time comes to actually come to us and show what they can do, they don't show up. This particular person uh, uh, started, you know, changing his story and, and eventually didn't didn't come out here and did not engage mm-hmm. in, in the in the demonstration. I'd really like to be cured. So, you know, we, we also had a person who is currently uh, who has inoperable cancer. She was very willing to, mm-hmm. to be cured as well. And th- this happens a lot. I've uh, I've been engaged in a couple of of um, discussions and. Uh, as you may or may not know, the, the James Randi Million Dollar Paranormal Challenge is going to be ending in 2010. There's a yeah. few reasons for it, and I agree with the reasons, but it's also kind of unfor- it's kind of sad because it's always been nice to say, hey, if you really believe you have abilities, why don't you go for a million dollars? And uh, then they always say that they don't do it for the money, and even though if they're people who are charging, you know, Two hundred dollars for a psychic reading, which which happens very very often. And what what happens the most with our paranormal challenge, and I know it happens on a much larger extent with Randy's, is people start telling you about their theories about how they can do what they can do. And it's like we don't care what your theory is. We want to see if you can do what you say you can do. Absolutely. Derek, I have to I have to tell you, you know, people who listen to the Paracast think we have a heavy, heavy emphasis on UFOs, which we do. We'd love to have, in well, in, in as far as you can say this, we'd love to have a genuine psychic on the Paracast to talk to us about this. But every person that steps forward, whether it's a psychic or a medium, I'd love mm-hmm. to have I'd love to have someone who I felt was highly compelling. And a number of people have approached us wanting to come on the show and talk about this topic, people who claim to be mediums and psychics. And and I've had a long-standing invitation to anybody who's willing to do a reading with me. And I said, you don't have to do this on the air. You can do this off the air. Do a reading with me and show me what you're capable of. And what you're describing is exactly what I've run into, people who will go back and forth for months with emails going, well, and they want this condition and that condition and this and that and the other thing, and you go, okay, fine, do a reading with me, show me what you can do if uh, if I find you have some special ability or talent, we will definitely have you on to figure out what's going on. And uh, so far, absolutely no one has got through the whole process where they finally said, okay, let's do it, let's go. There's always an excuse at the last moment or uh, an attitude that, well, Gee, uh, you should know that I'm psychic. And it's like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I literally, literally have that with one one woman who's a psychic. Say, well, you know, and and I met with her to discuss this, and she said, well, you know, you you should know. 
that I am. And I looked at her, and I was just like, <laughs> I just, what can you say at that? Okay, yeah, right. But she wouldn't, in the end, she wouldn't uh, step up to the plate. If there was one element of the paranormal I wish people would just stop with, it would be psychics. Um, unlike some forms of paranormal claims or whatever, psychics have been tested, and they've been tested repeatedly for, and seriously in the last hundred years, and even for the past two hundred years. And so far, not one person has shown any abilities that are, you know, beyond the cold reading, you know, uh, mentalist, uh, uh, stage magician sort of, sort of abilities. And these, especially the, the psychic advisors and, and the people who, you know, give readings and try to help you speak to the dead and the mediums and stuff like that. I, I, as we mentioned earlier, I just find these people generally reprehensible and, and I just wish if there's any one aspect of the paranormal that would just go away, it would be the belief in psychic abilities. Um, well, see, we'll I, still I have, have to... We'll still have people. If people have an ability and they say they have it, we'll test them. We will investigate every single claim freshly. It, it is one of those that has been tested so repeatedly that there, there just does not seem to be anything there. Well, to which I respond... Sadly, you don't have my mother to test. And uh, if there was one person that gave me an interest in certainly uh, the psychic aspects of human beings, it was my mother. Because this was someone who had, and I have no reason to make this up at this point because it's wacky enough having to have lived with the reality of it. Um, mm -hmm. My mother had absolutely repeatable, intense unexplainable, completely unexplainable psychic abilities that I postulate, I, I mean, I suspect ultimately uh, drove her kind of crazy, it, it definitely caused mental illness in her, um, and uh, it, it was the weight of having the ability and not understanding it herself, and not knowing really even how to control it, that created such a problem for her so see this is the, the problem with discussing any of this is that when it comes down to it yes really what keeps people interested in uh, any of these topics is personal involvement and the, the one aspect of the paranormal that I know without a doubt without any doubt in my mind and I have doubt about a lot of things but not about this um, my mother was an extremely powerful psychic that could do things in a, in a highly repeatable fashion, in a, in a way that has absolutely no logical explanation by any anything you would call logic. And um, I was brought up with a mother with this. So imagine my stance, my, you know, my, my feeling about this. When I hear you say you wish that would go away, and I think to myself, man, there is something so profound that we can understand about ourselves by realizing that these things do exist and whether or not you can create in a controlled environment the experiment that proves that ultimately when it comes down to it we know those of us who have experienced this that this is a real thing and so I guess in a way 
it ultimately becomes this line in the sand for people who, you know, there are a lot of people who have had experiences that don't believe what happened to them, simply refuse to accept it, they're in deep denial about it, and so for them, this is not real. Well, there this would people, be the same thing well, that, that Derek is referring to. He's had a couple of experiences in his life, but he assumes they're just one of those things, right. a brain fart. That's it. <laughs> well, but what if it's not a brain fart? You know, what if it's something much more profound? It would be it would be really fascinating. Again, uh, I don't want I I I, I I'll, I'll speak in generality. I don't want I don't want to to bring up. I don't want to cause any negative feelings about your mom. I wasn't aware about. I don't think you had ever mentioned that before. No, 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 not uh, on this. No, not really. And um, there's. There, there, there is this thing where people, people engage in misinterpretation of natural phenomena and think that it's um, supernatural phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, not saying that this is what happened with you, but but there's most of the people that have come and that have applied for uh, the paranormal, paranormal challenge. I would say all but one that we've dealt with uh, have not been charlatans. They have not been people who, you know, were in it for the money or were sure, trying to... Sure. There are right. people who are who had noticed something about themselves and thought that it was a supernatural ability that they had, mm-hmm. and it turned out it wasn't. And it's always... Been there was one person in particular uh, who who was part of, who was one of our JREF uh, uh, challenge applicants. Um, he was from Hawaii. His name uh, was Achao, and he claimed to be able to read his friend's mind. And and we gave, we set up a, a protocol. He came out. He flew out. We kept saying, "He's like, please test this on your own." You know, make sure that you can do this before you spend the money on flying to California and, and all that sort of stuff. He came out. He and his friend came out. We set them up, and it was basically you know we had the friend downstairs, and we had a list of words, and then we had Achao upstairs, and he had a sheet of paper, and he's like, okay, let's uh, you know he's going to send one word at a time. Uh, write down what the word is. And let us know what it is. And, you know, he got zero out of 20. Uh, and it, he was he was really um, quite devastated. I mean, when you if you see, ever see the videotape, I don't know if we have it online or not, but he was just really uh, just shocked and 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 um, rather dumbstruck that that he had failed so so completely because he really really believed that he had this ability mm-hmm. and he had never really confronted it in, in a way to to show that you know he didn't actually have this he had he had you know it's a sort of thing where people when the phone rings and it's your friend is oh i was just thinking about you and people think that that's like some sort of psychic connection. It's like, well, no, you, your your mind is not uh, infinite. It only remembers, you know, the interesting parts. So all the times that you thought about your friend and the phone didn't ring, your mind has kind of thrown those away. But they'll remember the time when you were thinking about your friend and they called at that time sure. because that was an interesting connection. 
Sure. Um, it, 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 this is also where the, the, the psychics and the mediums do most of their work. It, it, people remember the hits and they forget the misses. We, uh, we had done an, uh, an infiltration of one of James Von Prague's uh, TV episode tapings. And there was this one bit where he was uh, going on and talking about trying to find this person's, I can't remember what relation it was, but someone who had, who had died. And is talking about Jesus, and you know, we're, you know, Jesus is looking out for him, and Jesus is is you know oh, there with him, and and, and the, the 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 person, the woman there is like, we're Jewish. And it's like, well, what? well, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Excuse me, Jesus was Jewish. What's your problem? Uh, uh, immediately changing his, his story, there was another time where uh, he was failing. He was, he was really, you know... The way these shows are done, at least his and for um, uh, the, the John Edward, is they, uh, they tape for several hours and then cut it down to a half hour or an hour show. And so you only see... The good parts that make it on TV, only the times that he hit. Well, this one time, he was trying to speak to someone whose uh, husband had died. And he kept talking to the wife, and and he's like, no, no, that do- no, that doesn't mean anything. No, that, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And, like, 15 questions. And he noticed that the wife kept looking off to someone in the audience. And then he asked, "Well, who are, who are you?" And it's like, "Oh, that, that's his mother." And then he's like, and then he asked, uh, then he started asking her some questions as well. And he got one thing right, like he was like one, like he, he had like something simple, like he liked riding a blue bicycle or something. I can't remember what the exact question was, but something really a, a very minor hit. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "Okay, wait a minute, let's stop this." And then he's they stopped taping, brought the mother onto stage now set them down and then they started taping and he's like okay I'm seeing something about a blue bicycle and so when you see it and then they 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 continue the the the, the taping from there so it's like so when you see it on the TV of course the 15 minutes of him flailing around trying to get any remote hit that's not there but it what you do see is the starting with a reset of the entire interview with starting with the one question that he got right. It's we call it a retake. Exactly. Okay. Hey, you know we can't retake any more of this, Derek. Tell our listeners where to get hold of you if they want to find out more about your organization and maybe even dispute some of the skeptical contentions. Absolutely. Uh, we are located at www.iigwest.org, or like I said, .com.net. That'll work, too. Um, and then my, my personal uh, email is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at iigwest.org. Okay, and, so uh, if someone who's listening thinks that they can sustain this challenge and prove to you they have psychic powers or they saw this UFO, they have some evidence of something, they get in touch with you, and hopefully if this passes muster, you'll get in touch with us and we'll follow it up further. Absolutely. If, if someone is looking specifically to, uh, to apply for the challenge, the, the, uh, a- the application instructions are online on the website at iigwest.org. 
Derek Bartholomus, I have to tell you that even though we don't necessarily agree with everything you said, you present everything in a responsible, respectful manner, and for that we appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I, I feel the same about you guys, which is why you are the, uh, the, uh, the first paranormal uh, radio show that I listen to on a regular basis. And we hope that maybe we'll have you back in the near future. Derek Bartholomus, thanks for joining us on The Paracast. Thanks, Derek. Thank you. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Piedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. 